You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. DDoS has misdirection. NSA shares lessons learned from cyber operations observed in Russia's war against Ukraine. Advice from CISA on Zimbra. A misconfigured Microsoft storage endpoint has been secured. Notes from a study on the cybersecurity workforce. The cost of businesses of phishing. Betsy Carmelite from Booz Allen Hamilton on managing mental health in the cyber workforce. Our guest is Ismael Valenzuela from BlackBerry with insights on the cyber insurance gap and updates to the ransomware leaderboard. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, October 20th, 2022. Deutsche Welle reports informed speculation that Kilnet's recent DDoS attacks against Bulgarian government targets may have been misdirection designed to draw attention from the real Russian goal, which may have been espionage. If that's the case, the ultimate goal is probably not simply Bulgaria, but rather NATO. Compromise of Bulgarian systems could enable Russian cyber operators to pivot into the broader NATO networks to which Bulgaria is connected. Some Russian official and semi-official discussion of the cyber attacks against Bulgarian government sites was retaliation for Bulgarian cooperation with and participation in Ukraine's strike against the Kirsch Bridge. Deutsche Welle dismisses this as easily debunked nonsense. The attackers had other fish to fry. Rob Joyce, head of the U.S. National Security Agency Cybersecurity Directorate, spoke Tuesday at the Mandiant Worldwide Information Security Exchange in Washington, D.C. He drew particular importance to information sharing by and with the private sector, CyberScoop reports. He also drew six early lessons that may be learned from the conflict so far. Meritalk summarized those lessons as follows. First, both espionage and destructive attacks will occur in conflict— Next, industry has unique insights into these conflicts. Sensitive intelligence can make a decisive difference. You can work and develop resiliency skills. Don't try to go it alone. And you have not planned enough for the contingencies. The advice he offered the private sector came from NSA's playbook. First, harden. Invest in the basics and hardening your systems and networks. Actively defend. Take an active stance against adversaries, not a passive one. Contest. Impose costs on malicious actors. And scale. Collaborate with industry. 
More lessons will emerge as the war is studied. In the meantime, Director Joyce has offered a first draft of its history. CISA has updated its advisory concerning the exploitation of several vulnerabilities in Zimbra. The update includes not only additional technical details on the malicious files being used in exploitation, but also a summary of best practices to mitigate the risk. See CISA.gov for the details. Microsoft has released the results of its investigation into a misconfigured Microsoft storage endpoint, which exposed some business transaction data corresponding to interactions between Microsoft and prospective customers, such as the planning or potential implementation and provisioning of Microsoft services. Microsoft has since secured the server. Microsoft, which we note in disclosure, is a CyberWire partner, explained the implications of the data exposure, stating, The business transaction data included names, email addresses, email content, company name, and phone numbers, and may have included attached files relating to business between a customer and Microsoft or an authorized Microsoft partner. The issue was caused by an unintentional misconfiguration on an endpoint that is not in use across the Microsoft ecosystem and was not the result of a security vulnerability. We are working to improve our processes to further prevent this type of misconfiguration and performing additional due diligence to investigate and ensure the security of all Microsoft endpoints. ISC Squared has released its 2022 Cybersecurity Workforce Study, The study shows that the cybersecurity workforce globally is at an all-time high, with an estimated 4.7 million professionals in the field, but data show that 3.4 million more workers are needed in the field to be effective. Three-quarters of respondents reported strong job satisfaction and feeling passionate about their work, but 70% of respondents report feeling overworked. 68% of employees that had low experience ratings have said that culture affects their effectiveness in security incident response. Over half of workers also reported that they would switch jobs if remote no longer is an option. 64% of respondents seek out new certifications in order to grow their skills and stay current with trends in cybersecurity. 20% say that they believe that their company would raise the security budget following a breach, but only 16% say that the funding would go to more staffing. 61% of cyber professionals surveyed are concerned primarily with risks in newer technologies. IronScales published a report this week conducted by Osterman Research that details the cost of phishing to business. The purpose of the study is said to investigate direct costs borne by organizations in mitigating the phishing threat and to explore expectations about how phishing will change over the next 12 months. It's noteworthy how much of the cost of a phishing attack is imposed in terms of simple time and labor. Phishing costs to businesses are not just financial in nature, but many security and IT teams have to dedicate time to resolving phishing attempts and attacks. 70% of organizations report spending 16 to 60 minutes on each phishing email, from discovery of the email to removal. A composite IT and security professional was found by the research to cost $136,000 in salary and benefits, and the cost of a single phishing email averaged out to be just over $31. 
as the average time spent on a phishing email is 27 and a half minutes. The research also found that IT and security professionals reported that phishing-related activities took up about one-third of their work time, which would equate to about $46,000 per year for the calculated composite security professional. Phishing, of course, is not going away. Most organizations expect it to increase over the coming year. Phishing has also expanded beyond email, as at least half of respondents report seeing phishing attacks in messaging apps, cloud-based file-sharing platforms, and text messaging services. So, stay alert, stay skeptical, and stay safe. Finally, a look at the ransomware leaderboard as it shaped up during the third quarter. Intel 471 released a report today highlighting ransomware activity in the third quarter of 2022. 455 ransomware attacks were observed in this quarter, which represents a decrease of 72 over the last quarter. Ransomware continues to have a global impact. Here, in order, are the ransomware strains with the biggest criminal market share. LockBit 3.0 was found to be the most prominent ransomware variant, coming in at 192 detected breaches. Professional services, consulting, and manufacturing were found to be the most impacted industries by LockBit. LockBit's builder was leaked on Twitter in September of this year, and it's possible that a decrease will be observed in LockBit use in the fourth quarter. The Black Basta ransomware placed second. It was used against 50 organizations this past quarter. Consumer and industrial products were the most targeted industry by the ransomware, and the U.S. accounted for 62% of all attacks. This ransomware took Conti's spot as the second most observed ransomware following its dissolution. 42 attacks were seen by the Hive ransomware group in the third quarter, and they most impacted the U.S. and U.K. Consumer and industrial products were the most affected sector by this ransomware. In August of this year, an alleged Hive threat actor revealed phishing emails are the initial attack vector. Alf V ransomware was observed in use in 30 incidents this quarter. Real estate and professional services and consulting were the most impacted sectors. In September, the supposed leader of the Alf V ransomware as a service affiliate program claimed the group targeted many systems of critical infrastructure. Coming up after the break, Betsy Carmelite from Booz Allen Hamilton on managing mental health in the cyber workforce. Our guest is Ismael Valenzuela of BlackBerry with insights on the cybersecurity insurance gap. Stay with us. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off 
by going to vanta.com slash cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. BlackBerry recently published a report titled The Cyber Insurance Gap. What is it and how can we close it? For insights on the report, I spoke with Ismael Valenzuela, VP of Threat Research and Intelligence at BlackBerry. The reality is that this is not very different from what we have seen for many years in the world of uh, compliance, right? When you approach cybersecurity as compliance, it's just one more thing you're doing to just like feel at peace uh, or, you know, let's say to ignore (laughs) things that you should not be ignoring and because you have a piece of paper that gives you some some peace of mind. And the reality is that um, cybersecurity is not about just going through controls and just saying, okay, check, 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 you have that, right? This is a very dynamic uh, world. It's always been, and as the business increases for cyber criminals, uh, there's more people into the business, right? This is the reality with any economy where there's money, like there's more people jumping into it. And, and unfortunately, uh, there's a lot more bad people jumping into these that, that, that probably like defenders that are able to counteract. So is part of the issue here the, the expense of these policies? It's it's probably lack of knowledge that you know this is something available in some cases, probably smaller organizations, right? Obviously, big organizations are aware of this. Uh, one of the things we mentioned in the report is that it's typically the same broker that offer this catalog of, of services. So big organizations would definitely know that this exists, but it could be um, definitely the cost, one of the things that we highlight in the survey is that the cost of uh, cyber insurance is increasing as there's more and more uh, attacks, especially the ransomware attacks. Uh, it could be maybe the inability to get coverage because the organizations, not all organizations, have uh, or meet the uh, basic criteria, uh, the minimum uh, number of controls that they need to obtain one. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. I mean, I, I suppose in some ways... Cyber insurance is driving organizations to up their game when it comes to a lot of these basic cyber hygiene issues. You would think so. And that's, that's 
ideally what we want to see, right? We want to see these as a complaint. That's the good thing about complaints too. I keep comparing those two <laughs> things, but to me, it's kind of the same thing, right? Somebody's pushing you to, to do something that you should be doing regardless. And, and that's good. Uh, all right. So for example, you don't have EDR, you need to have EDR, right? Endpoint detection response to be able to monitor your endpoints. Uh, in some cases, it could even app, you know, lead up to you don't have enough resources to monitor these solutions on real time on real time basis because that's what they require. Well, if you don't have your own SOC because you're a small organization, you need to have a managed detection response right type of uh, service. You have to augment your capabilities. All of these things are are good. There's also the other side of the coin, which is some organizations could use this as an excuse to not invest on things that they should be investing based on their threat model. Hmm. And, and that's I think that's the, the main gap here, that in many cases, these insurance companies are going to come and require a number of controls that you could have in place. But just as with PCI or HIPAA regulation or all the type of control-based frameworks, the fact that you have that doesn't talk about efficacy, doesn't talk about how well prepared you are to anticipate, to withstand, right, to resist, and to recover. What are your recommendations then? I mean, if I'm the person in my organization who's responsible for uh, finding the right cyber insurance for us, any words of wisdom there? You know, first of all, if I, was, if I would be the person doing that internally, and that typically comes because of a, of a need, a business need, hey, we need to have insurance because of this, right? In order to continue conducting business or in order to have access to this partnership or this contract or... Once again, uh, it's like compliance, right? You use it to go beyond what just the, the controls, uh, the framework is requiring you, or what the insurance company is requiring you to, to do. That would be one recommendation, right? Use this to do the right thing, but not necessarily just to do the minimum to comply with that and just leave it. Because that, that's usually not enough, right? That minimum is typically not enough. The second thing would be to make sure that you read the fine print and clarify what uh, you know coverage for a loss means. What we have found with this survey is that in many cases, organizations thought that certain costs would be covered. And there's a case that happened recently in Australia that illustrates this, where a company that was victim of a ransomware attack, they found out uh, that the uh, cyber insurer was where they were not covering the cost of doing incident response. And as we know, right, typically you would have a, an organization um, uh, well, coming and, and trying to find out where the attacker is, what's the scope of the attack, trying to contain the bleeding, and then helping you to recover. They would not be covering that. They would not be covering the cost of forensics. And as we know it, you know, forensics is what uh, uncovers the evidence or unearths the evidence that will tell you what's the root cost, right? Why did this happen? And that's what you need in order to learn, in order to, 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 to improve, right? And, and so all of these things are necessary. In some cases, cyber insurance is not covering that. We don't want to have these type of surprises after the fact. So it's, it's good to, um, to do that digging before uh, jumping into this, uh, into this wagon. That's Ismael Valenzuela, VP of Threat Research and Intelligence at BlackBerry.
And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Betsy Carmelite. She is a principal at Booz Allen Hamilton and also their Federal Attack Surface Reduction Lead. Betsy, it's always great to welcome you back to the show. I want to touch base today on the issue of mental health in the cyber workforce, uh, something that I know is important to you from a manager's point of view. What can you share with us today? So, Dave, the the always-on cybersecurity environment, and that's whether it's closing tickets, tracking open tickets, analyzing data, writing reports, answering Slack messages, all of that leads to burnout among cybersecurity analysts. And there's one major contributor. It's cognitive overload. And Mm -hmm. we've seen reports that nearly half of senior cyber professionals in the last year have considered quitting the industry altogether because of that stress, according to a recent survey. And a similar percentage of, of those professionals in the industry know someone who has quit. So what is leading to this? I mean, are we understaffed? How, from a manager's point of view, where are we coming up short? Yeah, so my, my Booz Allen colleague, Mike Saxon, and I, we both have been in the trenches and managed cyber defensive operations teams. And we've seen a lot of what works and, and doesn't work. So this will come at an angle of, of what's causing this, but also you know, how, how we can better support cybersecurity teams and reduce the most common sources of, of that cognitive overload. So first, it's really important to establish a clear strategy and team structure. Companies can combat cognitive overload by setting a clear cybersecurity strategy for the team And workers should have a strong understanding of their role, their responsibilities, what their goals are, and where they fit into that that larger strategy. And so, for example, assign areas of specific infrastructure or threat groups uh, for for certain people to focus on. And and this way, instead of feeling like a few dozen workers are in charge of defending an entire organization, um, they view themselves as a structured force multiplier. Uh, This also shows that the organization recognizes uh, that focus and a training process will pay off in the long run. So that's that's one way. Secondly, um, we look at really the need to understand the limits of technology. There's really long been a misconception that one singular tool or product can get the job done, but analysts are the ones responsible for interpreting the data coming out of those tools and making the decisions. I heard the other day that a human makes about 35,000 decisions a day. Hmm. And I can't imagine what that number is for a cybersecurity analyst. Uh, <laughs> right. right. They, they probably say, oh, mind. that's adorable. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and, and so we really need to listen to our team's feedback to cut out the extraneous security tools um, or use them better to solve the, the challenges. Um, more technology won't solve the issue unless we listen to what the analysts have to say. The last thing that I think is really critical is recognizing cybersecurity's human side. And leaders should really engage with their cybersecurity teams, encourage them to take a breather, understand understand when their needs require them to help lessen the load. Um, And if they can't take care of their needs, they're certainly going to lack motivation to be on that team. It's as, as simple as that. When you have time spent away, and I want to talk about that in a couple of ways, that can make their daily tasks more fulfilling. So first, mm. there's true time off. You know, unplug, walk away to get the real break, 
that your that your brain needs. Um, and then secondly, find or offer creative in different ways to be in the workspace. For example, yeah, I'm going to use this time with you on this podcast. This is something I love. It keeps my mind fresh. It allows me to think in different ways. There's an excellent book uh, by Daniel Kahneman called Thinking Fast and Slow. That comes to mind here in my daily delivery. I am just making decisions right and left for, for client missions, for my team members. But when I come here, I can focus on a thought piece that I want to share with you. My other colleagues volunteer with cyber nonprofits or at cyber conferences. It redirects the mind and really generates productivity in a less stressful or, or more fulfilling way. And then lastly, from, from the management side, when the manager models and offers the, uh, the opportunity to have balance, that signals that the company has made the staff's mental health a priority and, and helps them recognize when they're fast approaching burnout. So being attuned to your team, and, and it's as simple as asking, how are you managing? And often it needs to be that, de- that deliberate to find out. What about setting boundaries? You know, I hear folks talk about you know, protecting their weekends, turning off the phone or saying, you know, I'm, I am not available during these hours. I know that's always not realistic for all positions in cyber, but it strikes me that as a, a cultural uh, thing, it's something that we should probably strive for. I, I would agree with that. I know with my own teams, and again, this goes back to what I model um, unless there is a a real need for me to be emailing them about a crisis or an important client decision that has to be made after six o'clock or on the weekends, I'm going to maintain those those boundaries as a matter of practice. When I do need to discuss with them, hey, I'm going to need you to put in just a couple hours this weekend. I'm very deliberate about what we need to have them do. We have a huddle and and we're very intentional about what what that time is going to be spent doing. Um, And that way we can, you know, while while it's not ideal to be working on a weekend and and being protective of those boundaries is absolutely critical, at least we're very focused and we know what we need to accomplish. Yeah, so I mean, communication is is really key here. Yes. Absolutely. And, and, it's, and it's two ways. It's communicating that to your team, and you have to listen to what your teams are up against. You have to listen to what's working and not working, um, and then work within that, that environment and help them out. Well, Betsy Carmelite, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Dave. That's the CyberWire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karp, Eliana White, Haru Prakash, Liz Irvin, Rachel Gelfin, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Maria Varmatsis, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Catherine Murphy, Janine Daly, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Ivan, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.